0: Welcome to the Longview Podcast, a show for Catholic school teachers, Catholic school teachers, and anyone who works to form young people in the faith. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Elizabeth, and we're here to bring you conversation, contemplation, and some food for thought. So grab your red pen, your favorite beverage, and enjoy.
0: Happy All Saints Day last week.
1: Yeah, it was a big week in the Catholic Church. Saints yeah. and souls. And
0: I remember seeing on social media just all the pictures of little kids wearing the costumes, wearing their saint outfits. and.
1: Yeah, I'm not that good of a mom. <laughs> I did not manage to get any saint costumes together for my kids. But I saw some really cute like baby Mother Teresa's made with like blue painter's tape and a towel. And mm-hmm. What was the best one you saw?
0: Um. Well, I, that's not where I was going with. This. Oh, okay. Well, uh, sorry. What did you want to bring up? about <laughs> No, I was just bringing it up because, like, how appropriate with our with our podcast and the Long View and becoming saints and holiness and especially with uh, with Catholic education. And so I was thinking of when I think of All Saints Day, I, I actually flashed back to when we went to New Orleans uh, on a service trip back, back, back in the day, yeah. post Katrina. And we went to one of the, I would say, top five masses I've ever been to. was at St. Augustine Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. And I remember the liturgy being three hours long. (laughs) I don't know
1: if it was three, but it was a a, a hefty liturgy.
0: It was a historically black church and just very beautiful. (laughs) Like, the way that they walked in. The presider walked in and the priest walked in. It was just so slow. They took like really, really slow steps. Then right away, they were just projecting like, we've got time. Yeah. There's no rush we're, here. This
1: is What we're doing here is the most important thing. There's nowhere else to be right now.
0: And, you know, they had all the classic songs that you would know, you know, like, amen, 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 amen. But during that part of the consecration, they went straight into O.N. Saints. Go march in. Yeah, I do remember that. I forgot. It that. was just this epic beatific vision, like just you know, there's the Eucharist and there's everybody in heaven on earth and everything. And so I think of that whenever I we run into All Saints' Day with, you know, what does that look like and 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 our own calls to holiness and especially to get um yeah to get little kids you know dressing up as saints and. But also, you know, asking them or making them inquire, what does that mean to be a saint, and can you identify with any saints? And so, you know, isn't that kind of the big picture? As much as we talk about academics, you know, there's still that heaven piece. Yeah, I mean,
1: I know ACE does a lot of this, and in the diocese of Dallas here, we talk about saints and saints and scholars. Or like college in heaven is our is our goal. So like if your if your goal is to get to heaven, then your goal is to be a saint. Um, yeah, the mass I went to uh here at our parish they had the it was the school mass and all the little i think it was first grade was dressed as saints but then pre-k they brought them in at the end of mass they didn't make them sit through mass but they were also dressed as saints and they're just adorable super cute i that mass was that mass though in new orleans
0: i say we was, should just they should just keep going all the way through 12th grade, all the way through college. That everybody needs to dress everybody. up like saying, yeah. yeah why not? <laughs> I'd be for
1: that. Until I have to be the mom who has to come up with the costume. And then I would say, no. It's <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs>
0: there you go. Who would you dress up as?
1: Who would I dress up as? Uh... I don't know. Katiri's kind of easy to come up with a costume.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: I mean, she's a great saint. Okay. I was just reading about her as a white martyr. I didn't really know the term white martyr until this year when we were planning our Halloween martyr themed party and I needed to come up with martyr themed food. And I learned about white martyrs and red martyrs when I was planning the wine list. Mm. <laughs> but a white martyr is someone who did not shed their blood. Um, but gave their life in another way, and so Kateri was one who gave, who like basically died to self for purity and for um, the sake of the gospel, but did not actually shed her her blood as a martyr.
0: So Saint Joseph, Saint Joseph would be a white martyr.
1: Yeah, Saint Joseph would be a white martyr. I would
0: dress up as Saint Joseph.
1: I know you would. Um, we're going to bring in our guest, and our guest today is one of our twelve best listeners to our podcast. Um, my good friend, Andy Cisneros, is calling in from Rhode Island. Hi, Andy. How are you? Hi
2: there. I'm great. It's wonderful to see you both.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time, but te- technically, like, Dallas is kind of home for you, right?
2: That's right. Yeah. My parents... So my dad was career Air Force, 25 years, and when he retired, actually, his last day in the Air Force was our first day in ACE. Elizabeth oh, wow. and I were in the same ACE cohort. Um And so when they retired, they moved to Dallas. When my dad retired, my family moved to Dallas and they've been there ever since. So it's not rare that you're in these parts. So it's not rare. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I taught in San Antonio and in Brownsville. So Texas is, after being in a military family, Texas is as close to home base as I've got.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And what did you teach when you were an ace?
2: Middle School Language Arts at uh, Guadalupe Regional Middle School uh, on Lincoln Street in Brownsville, Texas. (laughs) It is the best little blue school that you will ever find. It's a magical place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and then, okay, so I know you did a lot of things after ACE. But you worked <laughs> for ACE for a while.
2: That's right, yeah. So when when we graduated, I went and worked as the assistant director for the ACE Academies, which folks listening to this might be familiar with. But the see if I remember my elevator pitch. It's been a little bit. It's a university school partnership between... Notre Dame slash ACE and K-8 Catholic schools. And the idea is to provide the uh, uh, Catholic education of the highest possible quality to as many children as possible. And so it focuses on working on the school culture and making sure that the Catholicity and community are strong, um, that the academics are strong and always growing and then uh, finding as many scholarship opportunities, ways to provide scholarships for families who want to send their kids to Catholic schools as possible.
1: And those are based um, in Florida and Arizona, anywhere
2: else? When when I was working there, we were in Florida and Arizona. When I left, they were starting in, that might have been when they were starting in Indianapolis. And I have now lost track of where they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think they're still in Indy. They were in Orlando. They might still be. It's I'm I'm now the wrong person to ask about that. <laughs> uh, so, but if you go but to ace.indy.edu. Are... <laughs> yeah, there, hey,
1: there you go. Um, you can find all your answers. But these schools are based in states that have a school choice or a voucher right. program yeah. already in place. So they're taking advantage of of programs that are already in place.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. So that part of the idea is sta- parents being the primary educators of children have the right to be able to send their kids wherever they want. And that shouldn't be a privilege that's reserved for the middle and upper middle class. Um, and so in states like arizona and florida that have either uh vouchers or tax credit scholarships mm-hmm. um that's where the ace academies were so the idea was that, that that is a mechanism that allows us to provide uh high quality private education um, <laughs> um oh my gosh my dog just walked in <laughs> hi buddy <laughs> hello dog hey, sorry welcome <laughs> to the podcast i'm really sorry podcast. i got Got my dog out of my room again. It's okay. Um, anyway, so the the idea is um that that is a way to you know like private education for people who don't have money is not a sustainable business model. Um, (laughs) So that was the idea behind being in the tax credit states. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Because when I was teaching in Atlanta, there was there was not a voucher option. Um, but there were mm-hmm. some tax credits that were available that, that provided some right. scholarships, um, right. in Georgia. Um, yeah. Okay. And then after that
2: you did what? So I did the East academies for four years. Um, and I worked with them on, um, the recruiting and on the school culture piece were probably my, my biggest things that I worked on. And then, after four years of working for ACE, uh, decided, had had the idea in my head for a while, but after four years, decided it was time to go pursue a PhD in education. Um, and so I ran off to uh, the arch rival of one of the arch rivals of the University <laughs> of Notre Dame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, University of Michigan. Stars M, right?
1: Uh, we don't have to yeah. say it. It's fine. <laughs> no, I'm
2: <Yep>. just kidding. <laughs> um, yes, you, Mish. Uh, the school of education there is phenomenal. Um, it's been a really great place to be. And so I started that in 2014. I'm now in the dissertation phase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh Um, (laughs) It's fine. It's going fine. Everything's okay. It's great. Uh, so I did that. I'm still doing that. Um, but then this opportunity, um, so I'm now, I just started, uh, I just finished my third week as the assistant director for the Providence Alliance for Catholic Teachers uh, right. at Providence College. Um, but that opportunity came up, and my advisor, I'm very fortunate, is awesome and knows that this was literally my dream job. And so, uh, has been very supportive in me writing a dissertation while working a full time oh, okay. job, which oh, is going to be mm. super interesting. Yeah. And having yeah. a wedding. Everything's fine. Ah. Everything's fine.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> all the good things are just happening all at once. So. What's your dissertation about in a nutshell?
2: In a nutshell. So when I was working with these academies and also I taught with the Aramic leadership program some summers and both of those programs use this metaphor for school culture. um, That's it's a tree and the roots of the tree are what we call your root beliefs. And the idea is that the beliefs that you hold, hold everything else in the ground, right? Like that is what you are grounded in. And all the other life that comes into the tree comes up from those root beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so we would talk with principals and teachers about what are those like root beliefs that you have and that are influencing your practice. And then also how do you help your students develop root beliefs about themselves as learners and as Catholics that are going to be good, like capital G good Um, like growth mindset. And then also the, the idea of being called to sainthood and having, um, being personally loved by a very personal God, like just little stuff um minor little things so my so my dissertation is basically kind of an academicization of that idea as applied to when you're learning to teach so people who are going to go be teachers go into teacher preparation with lots and lots of beliefs and assumptions already in their heads and part of what teacher education should be doing is making sure that the ones of those that are not good um get, have a chance at least to be altered or shifted Mm as, as is appropriate.
0: That's awesome. That's really great. Um, I hope so. (laughs) Uh, I I love that image too, because, um, I'm definitely in the, like, how am I, um, what's the right right phrase? Like, how are you feeding your roots or how how are you uh, nurturing nurturing the nutrients and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, um, I don't know to go with that. What's the right phrase for that?
1: Yeah, I just, I mean, I think it's super important to, to know what you're grounded in because otherwise if mm-hmm. if the roots are the root system is dead, the whole giant tree falls over. Exactly. <laughs> you, that's that's okay, right, yeah. you have a tree on the top of your house and that's no good. Right. Yeah. And there's um, no fruit. Yeah. Or leaves. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that you, you know, you have to, to also nourish yourself. That's what I'm looking for, nourishing. And, and you also still need to be nourished. And otherwise yeah. you, you can't produce that fruit, you know? And so right. when the well is dry kind of thing, like what is it that you're actively doing to nourish that, um, to continue that growth? What, uh, so you said this great phrase earlier, your dream job. So explain yeah. to me, like, tell me of your dream job.
2: Yeah. So I went off to get the PhD because I wanted to teach teachers eventually. So um, the Providence Lancaster Catholic Teachers, a.k.a. PACT, which is uh, part of something called the UCCE, the University Consortium for Catholic Education. It's uh, a family-ish of, I think it's, I'm new, so I don't know yet. I think it's like 12 or 13 different programs that operate pretty similarly to each other. They all have in some, at least in some capacity, kind of a parallel model to how ACE works, which is the one that we would, People listening to this are probably the most familiar with where you take two summers of classes, you live in community, and teach in Catholic schools during the year. Um, but it's a much smaller. Well, it's actually like mid-size of the UC Bergens. So we have about 40 students at a time. Um, they live in about 10 community houses, and they're all within a couple hours drive of Providence. Mm. So it's a much more compact and regional program mm-hmm. and it runs very lean so whereas uh ace is by far the biggest program and so they have a whole staff of academic supervisors and then a separate staff of pastoral supervisors with pack it's just me and the director who's also an ace grad and oh, wow. classmate of ours michael o'connor um, and shout out to Oki; we gotta get him yeah. on the show as well oh my gosh he would love it he would be hilarious um So it's just the two of us doing all the supervision and the um, community visits as well, and then teaching a couple of courses during the summer. Um, It's also much more embedded in Providence College than some of the other programs are. We don't have sort of our own faculty. Most of our courses are taught by, PC has an ed school, and so most of our courses are taught by members of the ed faculty, Mm -hmm. Um, but the placements, are kind of administered by us and the community living is administered by us. And then we have this very Catholic education focused way of preparing teachers and thinking about what it means to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of our teachers are in Catholic schools. And so it's a, a way of thinking about how you prepare teachers, but then B it's also their context that they're going to be working in. Right. Um, so the dream job was to prepare teachers, teach teachers for Catholic schools. And that is exactly what I'm doing. And so when the opportunity came along, even though I have a year left of the, the PhD and it seemed a little bit insane to try to do both, it's like, there's not, there's one of these doesn't come up like every year. So oh <laughs> I my jump, on yeah. jump on this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what is it about Catholic schools? What, what, what drew you to Catholic schools? <gasps>
2: um, I love Catholic schools. Um, <laughs> Okay, so funny story. I never set foot in a Catholic school until I taught in one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, not not once. Um, So after, so I was sort of like, I was never not Catholic, but I'm sort of a convert in that I became Catholic on purpose um, when I was like right between high school and college. Um, And so I had all that converts zeal. um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to do service after college. I was a secondary English ed major in undergrad. And so the program I ended up doing was the lay volunteer program affiliated with the Salesian Sisters. Mm. Uh, shout out to the Salesians. Mm-hmm. They are the best. Um, and so when I was talking to Sister Gloria and she was saying, so what kind of work do you want to do? And I said, I'll do anything because I'm volunteering and I'm just trying to give back. Uh, but I'm trained as a middle school English teacher or middle or high school English teacher. And she's like, oh, we have an opening in our middle school here in San Antonio. And so I spent my first year of teaching, living in a convent with a bunch of Salesian nuns and teaching in their school. And, so, and that was the first time that I had ever been in a Catholic school. Um, and I just have not looked back since then. I, to answer the question of what is it about Catholic schools, I think that there is a wholeness there. Um, and as a product of public schools, I want to be very careful and clear that I'm not ragging on public schools at all uh they educate the majority of children in this country and yeah. they often do a great job and like most of our people come through them most of our like fellow citizens come through public schools thumbs up public schools um but in catholic schools i found this sort of in the same way that i found this when i came into the church and became a catholic on purpose i found this sort of wholeness and completeness in looking at the world and looking at myself and my students and the relationships between us that made the learning that we were doing that much more meaningful. And it makes things like when you have to have kind of a disciplinary conversation with a student, there's a lot more grounding to that. There's a, it's, to go back to that idea of root beliefs, it's rooted in this idea that we are both children of God and I, as a professional educator, am very invested in all aspects of your formation intellectual spiritual um emotional yeah Yeah, that feels like a rambling answer so tell me if i can clarify any of that
1: yeah it's just a sense of we're educating the mind and the heart um Mm -hmm. which is very holy cross very holy cross yeah so did you did you know you wanted to be a teacher i think i
2: had I had a lot of ideas about what I wanted to be when I was a kid and teacher was definitely among them. I went through a doctor phase. Like a lot of people do. I yeah. went through a, a, Marine mammal trainer, uh, dolphin trainer phase. <laughs> like a lot of people do. Do they? Um, do they? Do they, really? do they? A lot of people want to be a dolphin trainer, right? You know, I work at that cannot be just me. Um, anyway, I went through a dolphin trainer phase and a doctor phase. Um, but I think when I was in high school, I was actually debating between teaching and photojournalism, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, By the way, do you still then, take, are you still taking pictures? Are you, is that...
2: I have slacked off a lot in the last couple of years, but I actually was just on a walk with the aforementioned fiancé and our dog earlier today. And I made a point of taking the camera with me, taking some pictures. Yeah. So. Not as much as I used to, but I'm trying to get back into
0: it. You have so many gifts. I I have Thank not you. I've not known a quarter of what you've just been sharing. So I, was like, yes. I had no idea. <laughs> I just know that you're the joyful, wonderful, charismatic, and you take a lot of pictures. Really good
2: pictures. Oh my gosh! That's so nice. Wow. I don't even know what to say. Thank you. Uh, I do still take a lot of pictures, uh, but mostly on my phone of my dog when he's like being weird. Uh, <laughs> so I'm trying to get back in the other kind. Anyway. Um, what were we talking about? I totally you lost photojournalism. Photojournalism, that's right. Yeah. Um, but so it's really funny how God speaks to you and makes his way and your way known. Um, my mom's second cousin. My mom's from Louisiana. Uh, and so her second cousin is, you know, important in the family. Um yeah,
1: my mom's also from Louisiana, and my mom's second cousin is also important in the family. So, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought you might understand. Yes.
2: I do. Um, so anyway, he worked for a magazine in Washington, D.C., and uh, we were living in Delaware at the time. And he had seen some of my pictures and heard that I was interested, and actually set up a bunch of meetings for me with, like, the photo editor at the Washington Post. What? And yeah. Uh, The photo editor of the magazine that he worked for and the photo editor of National Geographic Kids, not, not (laughs) real National Geographic. That would have just, I would have died on the spot. Um, And it was such a great experience. But the thing that came through loudest and clearest was you cannot do that work on the level that I was interested in doing it. If I was going to do it and have a life, Mm. everyone was like divorced and never saw their kids. Mm. Uh, And so I decided I wanted to go into teaching, but I primarily wanted to go into teaching because I liked school and I was good at school. Mm -hmm. and like being good at school was kind of what I had Mm -hmm. done my whole life. Yeah. Uh, And so I will never forget. It was my aunt is uh, she's currently a high school principal, but she was a high school English teacher for a long time before that. And I was half joking, but half not once I think at Thanksgiving. And I said something like, um, I'm going to teach honors, juniors, and seniors, and it's going to be great. <laughs> um, and she said, uh, that, that, that'll that be nice, but they don't need you. They'll mm. learn on their own. Like, they, they'll learn mm-hmm. on whoever's in the room. Uh, mm-hmm. And she has worked always in schools and, and has really put her attention on students who uh, aren't going to just learn mm-hmm. if you just put some books in front yeah. of them or whoever, whatever, mediocre teachers in front of them. Um, so that really, really stuck with me. And that was, I think, what started changing the way that I thought about education and what it is for. And at the same time, I was having this awakening of my faith that was changing how I thought about myself and other people and the world and what it is for. Um, so I think those things together were what really not only got me into teaching would be a f- fun occupation to education is my vocation.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah. no. That makes so much sense. And I, I mean, I, thinking about you know, the teachers that we need to teach the kids who don't just get it. Yeah, my husband Joe Nava is that kind of teacher, and he yeah. is renowned around the school. I don't know if renowned is well known around the school. Edit this,
0: okay. Renowned? <laughs> renowned. What are you talking about?
1: He's well respected <laughs> by his administrators as someone yeah. who can take a class of kids who don't like math and who think they're not good at math and can turn mm-hmm. it around for them. And um, and that takes a... I mean, that's a gift. That really is a gift. It really is.
0: It's funny. You're, yeah, you're, the words that were spoken to you, that was like told to me like day zero. Really? <laughs> when it was like, you know, anyone can teach honors kids, you know. Yeah. So, um, and they were... I mean, I'm back in my high school, so they know that I how I learned. They know that, you know, anyone can teach you as a student. So, like what about everybody else? And it was like, yeah. you know, so that, that definitely, I, I grew into that. I, I learned to fall in love with that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: it's a shift. It's a big shift.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: I think a lot of people go into teaching kind of for some reasons that I did. It's like, I like school. I like learning. I like the content, but education ultimately is actually about, helping students find that within themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and develop that, that gift and that ability that's in there somewhere to some extent, you know, um, so it's not a matter of like giving it to them, but it's a matter of helping them find and develop those gifts that they've been given. Yeah.
1: It's really good. I like that a lot. Um, let's, let's pray. Let's pray about it. That um, sounds awesome. Joe, mm-hmm. so would you lead us in the gospel for this evening?
0: This is a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. One of the Pharisees, a scholar of the law, tested Jesus by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So, for our reflection, what does it look like to love God with all my heart? What does it mean to truly love my neighbor? Are there commandments that I focus on more than the greatest commandment? A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. One of the Pharisees, a scholar of the law, tested Jesus by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Andy, I know that this was the gospel for today's Mass, but what else was it about this gospel that stuck out to you for today?
2: Yeah. Um, So I've been thinking about this particular gospel a lot lately. and I won't get too much into exactly the reasons why because they're sort of personal, but I think the thing, it's just been on my mind for like a year. Um, and in particular, there's that line, and I mentioned this to Elizabeth when we were going back and forth about getting ready for this. Um, the line where Jesus says, the first, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Um, and the second is like it. Um, is the thing that I've been really stuck on. Uh not stuck on, but have been kind of meditating on and, and trying to understand what that means. Um, that to love your neighbor as yourself is like loving God with your mind, your heart, your soul. Mm-hmm. Um and I think about what does that look like in my work as an educator. Um, I'm not in a K-12 classroom now, but I always try to frame everything that I do with my young adult teachers in, in terms of like the children in their classrooms. Uh, but then also think about my 20 some year old students in the same way. Um, and yeah, like it, it makes me think also about this quote from Dorothy day that says, I only love God as much as I, I love the person I love the least. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: which is a killer. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Dorothy's a killer. She's yeah. ruthless. <laughs> um, and that is another quote that, when I first started again, kind of hit me like a ton of bricks and um, comes back to me every now and again, especially when I'm like irritated at somebody mm-hmm. or frustrated. Um, yeah, so I just I think that that question of, of, it's like in that reflection question that you just offered us what does that mean to love God with? all that you have and all that you are and what does it mean that loving your neighbor as yourself is like that mm-hmm. or is a version of that I'm not even sure like what direction that goes in right uh, and I think it's a, I just think it's a really good thing for people who take their faith seriously to just think about and ponder
1: yeah yeah no that totally I've never really caught that like, you kind of just read it in passing like the second is like it like that's kind of a throwaway Phrase when you're reading and trying to pull out the most important parts of that passage and you get to the second is like it and it's kind of like just the segue. But yeah, when you put them side by side and say like, okay, to love God means this and to love my neighbor should look very similar. Um, yes. And that's really challenging. Yeah.
0: Um, Another thing that I think that strikes me is how i don't know society or culture like we've kind of neutered it you know and the golden rule and you know love your neighbor as yourself but the fact that like oh by the way like this is actually rooted in loving your god with your heart your soul your mind and how you know and at least in the public square like you know oh love your neighbor as yourself for sure like that's totally acceptable but then well don't go there. Don't bring God into it, you know, mm-hmm, when right. when in our yeah. in this gospel it's like, like no, it actually it's very much rooted. It's very much like it. It's it's very much intertwined and you can't separate yeah. um one from the other or you know, you can't do that well if um uh your heart, your soul, your mind is is loving God completely fully. Mm-hmm.
1: And and when I think about the, these two commandments and which one is harder for me, I would very quickly say the second one is harder. The second yeah. one is very much harder. It's easy for me to love God. Um I'm I'm a rule follower kind of girl, and like you give me the rules and I'll get on board and like okay, I I'll I'll live my life in such a way as to follow those yeah. rules because that's what it means to love God. But when you put a person in front of me, maybe I'm married to them, maybe well just hypothetically, like what if I were married to someone? Or a parent of someone or, you know, a daughter or a sister to someone or a friend to someone. And suddenly I have to deal with the mess of that relationship. Um, that's hard. And, uh, Joe and I prep couples for marriage. So here, Andy, we'll give you a little free marriage. prep. Perfect. Good. Uh, yeah. W- when we have couples come to us who have answered their survey on the, um, the focus instrument, which is like a, a a kind of a, inventory that you do with your future spouse before you get married um and one of the questions says something about like you know true or false or like yes or no nothing about my future spouse annoys me and we have couples that come in and say like yep nothing annoys me and we just look at them and go like are you kidding me yeah
2: you you are lying
1: you are 100% lying lying. something annoys you something annoys you um, yeah. And when that person is right in front of you and you have to choose love because love really isn't like an emotion, right? Love, love is not yeah. just a warm, fuzzy warm love. Love is a choice. Love is a, an act of the will. So I'm going to love you. I'm going to verb love you by, mm-hmm. you know, the way that I, I react to your annoyingness or to your, uh, you know, your lost homework or your fourth tardy slip of the week or yeah. your you know out of uniform shoes or whatever it is I'm going to treat you with with firm justice and mercy but also with great love um yeah. and recognizing the, the dignity of you as a person in those interactions but that's a lot harder than loving God <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's also
2: it's hard because you can convince yourself that you are loving God by following the rules like you said Mm -hmm. or by having sort of warm fuzzy feelings when you pray or meditate or whatever Mm -hmm. um and that's my my experience of my faith has has suggested to me that that's not the half of having a relationship with god Mm -hmm. um that loving god comes in laying your life down and doing all those things that you were just describing for the people in front of you, which mm-hmm. maybe is where the the second is like it. Maybe that's what that's getting at. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I w- I hate to call my wife out.
1: <laughs> Please call me out. I
0: am. <laughs> but you just said, uh, you know, it's easy to love God, and the second one, loving neighbors, it's hard. And what I'm hearing from this gospel is like, well, if you're not able to love your neighbor, then no, you're not, you're doing not, your not loving God. God. Yeah, you're no. Yeah, that's totally challenging and it's, it's right in the, the language of it's, it's safe, it's comfortable, you know, when you're just, oh, it's just me and God and, and it's this neutered version of God where it's, it's by, you know, it's safe and it's non-threatening and where there's vulnerability and where there's sacrifice necessary and loving neighbors and, mm-hmm. It's not, uh, you know, it's not convenient. It's not on your own terms, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to pay attention to God when it's like, I'm ready. Like I I put all the distractions away and now, now I will let you have some room in my heart, you know, versus like, um, to really, truly love your neighbor. And though (laughs) that's a great phrase that's still resonating with me, the Dorothy day one, those that I love the least. It's like, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's killer. And, um, No. (laughs) Yeah. So we can always, we can always do better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, But I like the point about like the, you know, we kind of go to God on our time, like when it's convenient time-wise for me to be loving God versus usually it's not convenient for me to put down what I'm doing to love the person who needs me at that moment. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very different and you're kind of, um, yeah, just making yourself available in the midst of your busyness or your whatever you're trying to do to take care of whoever needs you. Um,
0: so the next time we have a fight, you just be like I can just tell you you're not really loving God well right now.
1: We never have fights, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're taking notes, Andy. Yep. How marriage works. <laughs> psyched. Can't
2: wait. Um, well, and that makes me think about, you know, this is a podcast about education um, and that sort of inconvenience of it, I think, is a great thing for educators to, to have in mind. Because the moment that I'm thinking of one student in particular who I had in Brownsville, um, who always needed me to show him my love for him as my student at the most inconvenient times <laughs> because the way the, the most frequent ways that he needed me to show him that I cared about him and show him God's love were when he was causing a ruckus during class
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and did not believe for a second that he was causing a ruckus. He really thought that everyone else was, he was behaving on the same level as everybody else. And I was just picking on him. I was like, no honey, you're just talking all the time, <laughs> all the time. Um, and it was never a convenient moment for me to have to think about how do I respond to him right now in a way that's going to keep him on board, keep him as part of the class community, Mm -hmm. but not let him continue this pattern of behavior that isn't good for him. It's not good for his classmates and I don't like it either. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do we, how do we work this out so that everybody gets something good from it when the easy thing to do would be to reprimand him or shut him down? Um, And then the class can get back on track and I'm not distracted, but that hasn't sort of sown any bonds and connection and community and care for each other, either between me and the student or between anyone else in the classroom.
1: Yeah, that was really hard for me. I I can think of like specific moments where I just... (laughs) As I like to say, I did not suffer fools gladly in my classroom. Like I just didn't <laughs> yeah. put up with any nonsense. And there were certainly fools that were in my class. And There's I, a lot of
2: nonsense, yeah. There's a
1: lot of nonsense. And there are certainly moments in which I did not respond with charity. And I just responded with harshness and like, look, shut it down. Like, I'm not putting up with that. Um, to the point that I, I had times when I, I would go back to students and say, like, I overreacted. I'm sorry for calling you out and embarrassing you but also get your act together. Right. Right. Let's move forward. Um, but yeah, that was really hard for me.
2: But I think to defend teacher you of however long ago that was, that there is also something to be learned for the students in having a teacher who has the humility to say, not like, not humility, not that false humility of you can Mm -hmm. do whatever you want and you can walk all over me. Mm -hmm. Um, but the true humility to say this, like my role and my position is I get to tell you what to do sometimes and this is what I need you to do. But the way that I did that wasn't the right way mm-hmm. to do that. And the way that I did that didn't honor your dignity or, or, or recognize you as a child of God, um, which doesn't always have to look warm and fuzzy and sugary and sticky and gross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um there are ways that it definitely doesn't look right. And sometimes because teachers are human, we respond in those ways. And I think it's a really, par- it can be a really powerful moment for students when they see adults say, I made a mistake. You deserve better than that. Let's get back on track in in, in yeah. our relationship to each other and also your behavior.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as a parent all the time, I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. so humbling, but, um, you know, we really just try to model that with our kids of, of how to give an apology. Because if I expect my kid to apologize when they're wrong, but I never apologize when I'm wrong, right? um, yeah. what does that look like? And so yeah. we try to practice that a lot, even though it's really hard. <laughs> it's hard.
0: So going back earlier when we said we don't fight, we don't you know? fight. Yeah. But um, no, there's lots of apologies. We do a lot of, <laughs> of apologies in our house. <laughs>
1: in fact in the homily today that our pastor gave he he was talking about his mother making him make up with his brother after a fight mm-hmm. and she would say you know shake hands and say you're sorry and he would say to his brother you're sorry <laughs> she's got a good laugh that's very it. good that's
2: very clever <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm gonna have to remember that mm-hmm. uh, mostly so that i can cut that off before it happens with any future children i might be blessed with <laughs> Yep. Oh man!
0: Let me ask Andy. Um, I mean, you're you've got a heart of service, and you're giving, giving, giving. And um, what is it that feeds you? What is it that nourishes you? This has kind of been my go-to question for all guests. d I'm <laughs> yeah. Me in in the trenches with my teaching right now, just I'm always asking, you know, what is it that feeds us, and then can, can yeah. nourish us, and redirect us, and let us, you know, get my head above water, that type of thing. So
2: yeah. And it's such That is such an important question, which I will answer in a second. I'm not dodging. Um, because, and I, I am very good friends with some people we've had on your podcast, and I can tell you for a fact that they don't take care of themselves. Uh, I'm not going right. to name any names. names please. I'm not going to name any names, but they know who they are. Uh, <laughs> um, but, I th- and, and I think that that is a, kind of along with, adults learning to apologize to children. That's an important thing for us to be aware of is we may not be good at turning back to God and turning back to the things that he has given us that let us do things in his service. Well, um, and so to answer your question, I don't know that I'm super great at that. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I, I have learned, I will say this, I have learned in my 33 years and especially probably in the last like 10 years, um, uh more probably more like five years um uh, to recognize when I am tired um physically mentally emotionally to just recognize those feelings instead of attributing to something else or beating myself up about it and then having recognized that think about like can I take a break right now? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you don't have the option sometimes you have to just power through. Uh if you're leading a retreat and you're one of the two people running the whole thing, you cannot just take a break. You need to like like <laughs> call in the Holy spirit, get a drink of water or a Coke or whatever, and keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can take a moment and step back, even if it's just for like 10 minutes to just go sit in a space and just be quiet. Um, I find that that really helps me kind of quell whatever turmoil is going on and then be able to kind of get back into whatever the things that I'm doing. Um, and then that coupled with, and this is the thing that I'm bad at that I'm really bad about, is intentional time to, for a more prolonged period, um, take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the aforementioned fiance, his name is Tim. He has a name. Um, <laughs> we're kind of long. We're like quasi long distance right now because he is also in a PhD program and he's at NYU. So he's in New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Y'all we're are not
1: messing it. around. No.
2: <laughs> Someone should have counseled one of us away from this, but it's too late now. Um <laughs> So he's in New York 40s out of the week and he's been coming out. I've only lived here for not quite a month yet. Um, so he's been coming out for the weekends. And one of the things about that that's actually been good is that when he's here, he says, let's make sure that we take some time in the morning and go for a walk. Let's make sure we take mm-hmm. some time and go to a bookstore. Let's mm-hmm. go to the farmer's market before it closes down. Um, and so him making that time in that case, it's sort of for us, but then it also is for me, a time away from whatever other things I might be fretting about, including unpacking Mm -hmm. all of these boxes that are still packed (laughs) and thinking about all of the different things that I'm now juggling, which I need to be thinking about, but taking two hours to go look at seasonal gourds at the farmer's market. (laughs) lets me come back to that uh, in with just refreshed and then I can do the work better. Um, so I think, yeah. and none of those were like prayer things, which also tells you a lot about where I'm at, um, that I'm not super great about that. I do, I tell myself that I'm doing okay because I constantly see things as God sort of revealing himself. Uh, like Tim was making fun of me because we stopped and got Dunkin' Donuts sandwiches on our way to our walk this morning. And I was commenting on how nice the one of the bushes in the <laughs> drive through line was. <laughs> It was a really bright, pretty red color. And he said, we are literally going to a park that is full of those things. Because I had taken up my phone to take a picture. And it's like, You're, you need to delight in the small
1: thing. This is where <laughs> God shows himself. He's right there. It's very Ignatian of you, finding that yeah. in, in the drive-thru line. <laughs> in the drive-thru line, yeah. Um,
0: that is funny.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, that... Um, I think something that I've been coming to learn better lately is the difference between self-comfort and self-care yeah um -hmm. because I think for a long time I thought oh self-care I'm gonna get a pedicure I'm gonna have uh some uh, just a dark chocolate binge I'm gonna drink a glass of wine I'm gonna get a rub I'm gonna lay here in my yoga pants on the couch this is self-care I'm taking care of myself um then I think what I've come to learn is that that those things are important um but I need to call those self-comfort and not self-care and that self-care is um much more uh holistic and lasts a lot longer um and takes a little bit more time so things like going for a walk or um finding some quiet time maybe taking a nap actually that might go in self-care and not self-comfort but very important um having a conversation with a friend doing uh something creative um those different things i find really Re-energize me better than just schlepping it on the couch with some dark chocolate and a glass of wine and some yoga pants. I mean, yeah. those things will make me feel happy for a little while, but the self-care, the true self-care, is much longer lasting and um, does a lot more good in the long term. So, which I think it's yeah, that's uh, I have
2: never heard that distinction before, and I'm definitely going to use it in the future because so often, not so often, I guess, but sometimes the things that people talk about as self-care could also be self indulgence
1: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. um like needing to take care of yourself is not an excuse to treat other people poorly mm-hmm. uh, or shirk your responsibilities or you know which is not to say that people who are talking about self-care that that's what they're doing but i think sometimes it can turn into that yeah um and that distinction is such a helpful one that there's self-care versus self-comfort um one of those is gonna has sort of farther reaching effects and longer lasting effects
1: yeah
2: the other one's gonna be gonna be nice while you're eating the chocolate mm-hmm. which doesn't
1: mean you should eat the chocolate right you but, should definitely eat the chocolate definitely definitely, the chocolate. definitely eat the chocolate yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um Andy I'm gonna make an assumption here but tell me if I'm wrong are you like uh you know not I don't know if type A is the right word but just high excitation, uh perfectionist tendency you know just really i mean you, you've mentioned you know high academic achievement back in the day and and expect a lot and um i mean i i identify a lot with that <laughs> like you have such high hesitation and it's like i gotta work i gotta work you love the work so much and to the point where yeah like well i'm gonna put myself you know my sleep that's my definitely my issue it's and i and learning to just like um take care of myself in the sense that like it's okay like i don't as much as i have yep. this desire to for perfection in perfection in teaching or you know i've got to you know continue to to present this facade that you know i am perfect and i i can do everything so well like at some point you know sleep emotional mental whatever that that those all have their limits and it's like in the end like the work's going to get done and i've i've yeah. learned only really in the last couple of months that like I don't grade well when I'm tired (laughs) like like I can grade in the morning I I need to get my sleep um but this whole like oh well I can't just let leave this undone or I still need I still need to do this I still need to get this off my plate like it actually takes me a lot longer to grade at night and I don't know why 10 years 11 years into teaching like I realized like wait (laughs) the grading is not that important Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it'll get done eventually, and I might as well do it when I'm very attentive to it, versus tired and sleepy. And you know, then that, that hurts my relationship with my kids and my wife, and you know, me thinking that this work needs to get done. So um, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm projecting, or the way that you're nodding your head sounds <laughs> kind of familiar. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm
0: maybe it's right. a How teacher I, thing like, in I general.
2: Gave you that idea.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think. To, to go back to the, the gospel reading, something that I have slowly come to understand is that so, and we've talked about loving God, we've talked about loving your neighbor, but then the third part of that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And so there's the way that we, t- we often don't take care of ourselves the way that we should, right? Or, or sort of respect and honor ourselves the way that we should as children of God who have been given a purpose and a mission. Um, and who are loved regardless of what creative ways we find to mess up, um, and, or just whatever creative ways we find to bite off way more than we can chew. Um, and I think something like being a teacher, there's always going to be 5 million more things that you could spend another six hours on always. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then I, that makes me think about, uh, uh, Dr. Tom Doyle, Dr. Doyle, um, who was the academic director of ACE when we were in it, um, I remember him saying in our middle school methods class that uh, not to let the perfect be the enemy of the good, uh, which is means. not a saying that he came up with right, but he is, especially when we were in the program, he was just such a presence mm-hmm. that him saying that really stuck with me um, and has been that, that something that is sufficient that's good. Like sufficient is sufficient. Um, And I think if all you ever get to is like, eh, that's good enough. Then in the long term that's not good enough. But like if on a given day or for a given project, as far as you get is good enough, that is, that is what that, those words mean is that it is good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And coming to have, so like my sense of sort of rigor and high standards is around, what does it mean for something to be good enough? Is this actually good enough? But it doesn't have to be perfect to to hit that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: I really needed to hear that, so thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm gonna like cross stitch that on a pillow or something that can throw across the room at Joe, and he just gets done a <laughs> yeah.
0: work. Yeah, that, you really named it. Perfection is uh, the enemy of the enemy of enemies, the good. The, yeah, and. Uh, in whatever lens that I'm looking at myself or through to my students or how I want my students to see and respond to me. It's like, like you're doing plenty, like chill out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And
1: you say that to your students. Well, many of them, you probably say that to many of them, but you aren't good at hearing it right. yourself that you can't tell yourself that like you're doing fine. Just chill out.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I, so in, I taught two courses with Pact this past summer before I got this job. Um, so I know all the students that I'm working with now and I, they're all first and second year teachers for the most part, a couple of them taught before. Um, and I mean, if anyone needs to hear the message of do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good or hear like this, this thing that you're doing is good enough. Now work on this. It's a, it's a beginning teacher, right? Because there are so many components to teaching that a, you could be teaching for 40 years, and never get them all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially in those first couple of years, you're just trying to like figure out how to keep the train from going completely off the track. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you are not excelling at other things yet doesn't mean that you are a bad teacher. It means that you are learning. Um, and so They're true. I think being able to identify and celebrate the things that a person is doing well, uh, whether it, that student is, 22 or 12 or 10 or you know whatever um is really important um because it helps you see like we're never gonna be perfect right that's just the fall you know (laughs) we're never gonna get there and that's not the point the point is to always be striving and growing and reaching for those things uh which is why birth mindset is very catholic um yeah
0: shout Truth. out shout out carol black
1: yeah. <laughs> well andy it has been so awesome to catch up with you and this has been lovely thank you i'm so glad that you're still one of our 12 listeners <laughs> yeah absolutely i might skip this episode <laughs> to my you've, health talk. you've heard uh, it you've heard this one. that yeah no that's great um but yeah next time you're in texas Give us a shout. We'd love to see you and catch up. Yeah. And we wish you the best with all the wedding plans. Thank you.
2: I appreciate that.
1: That wraps up our episode for today. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Long View Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to subscribe on iTunes to be up to date on our latest episodes. Also, share our podcast with a friend, another teacher, an ACE friend, your mom anyone that you think would enjoy our conversation. Your reviews and comments on iTunes help us to show up in the search bar, so we always appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Dallas Ace Advocates, and we're also on Twitter at Dallas Advocates. We'll see you here next time on the Longview Podcast.